Preface to the Reissue, 1977 Between the time this book was written and today, more than thirteen years have passed. They were not good years. One need only follow the reports from Amnesty International to see that, in horror, this period matches the worst epics of a history that is as real as it is inimical to reason. Sometimes it seems as though Hitler has gained a posthumous triumph. Invasions, aggressions, torture, destruction of man in his essence. A few indications will suffice. Czechoslovakia, 1968. Chile, the forced evacuation of Phnom Penh, the psychiatric wards of the USSR, the murder squads in Brazil and Argentina, the self-unmasking of the third world states that call themselves socialist, Ethiopia, Uganda. Given this, what is the good of my attempt to reflect on the conditio inhumana of the victims of the Third Reich? Isn't it all outdated? Or is not at least a revision of my text called for? But when I read through what I wrote at that time, I discover that a revised edition would be nothing but a trick, a journalistic tribute to actuality, that I am unwilling to retract anything I have said here and have but little to add to it. No doubt, whatever abominations we may have experienced still do not upset the fact that between 1933 and 1945 those things of which I speak in my writings took place among the German people, a people of high intelligence, industrial capability, and unequaled cultural wealth, among the people of poets and thinkers, for me, this is a fact that until this day remains unclarified, and despite all the diligent historical, psychological, sociological, and political studies that have appeared and will yet appear, at bottom probably cannot be clarified. All the attempts at clarification, most of which stressed a single cause, failed ridiculously. It is sheer nonsense to speak of a German national character, or to say that what is contained in the symbolic code words Auschwitz and Treblinka was already in the making in German intellectual history from Luther to Kleist to the conservative revolution and finally to Heidegger. If one wants to grasp the facts of the matter, it is even less permissible to speak of fascism as the most excessive form of late capitalism. For a sigh and the economic crisis with its hardships that drove the people to Nazism is a childish evasion. After 1929 other countries also had their jobless, and among them was America, but it produced a Franklin Delano Roosevelt and not a Hitler. And after Sedan, France also suffered its peace without honor. Certainly it had its chauvinistic ideologues, such as Charles Maras, but in the front line of its history it had those people who, in the Dreyfus case, were able to defend the existence of the Republic against the concentrated might of the military caste. No Quisling, no Mussert, no de Grell, no Sir Oswald Mosley came to power through his people, from the rector of a venerable university, down to some poor devil in a big city hovel, in approving, indeed, an exultant people. Yes, the German people exulted when finally the day of Potsdam came, 
despite the election results that preceded it. I was there. Let no young political scientist, no matter how clever he is, tell me his conceptually untenable stories. To someone who is an eyewitness, they appear utterly stupid. Historiography always sees individual aspects only, and misses the forest for the trees, the German forest of the Third Reich. In this case, history itself becomes useless as a concept, and then all that occurs to me is a sentence from Claude Lévy-Strauss's book, La Pensée Sauvage, where he says that, in the end, all historical occurrence dissolves into a chain of purely physical processes, and that the word history has no real subject.